Good morning, everyone, and I am sorry we have to gather this way once again. We decided that this might be the safest route for one more week while we await a test result uh, for Amanda. I am not sick. The kids are not sick. Um, but Amanda has some symptoms that would be a little more than you would consider mild, uh, and her doctor wanted to do one of the COVID tests that you have to send off. And so that's why we are here uh, like this once again. But I did want to continue in the book of Daniel, and I wanted to share another message with you from that book. Um, we are going to be in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, we'll read the entire chapter here in just a minute. Uh, the title of this is The Fall and Rise of Nebuchadnezzar. And when we think about what we already know about the life of Nebuchadnezzar, it, it, it seems that he should have a pretty good sense of who the Lord is and the greatness of God in comparison to the smallness of man. But he doesn't quite seem to get it. So this morning, we'll be looking at a problem uh, in the life of Nebuchadnezzar that I think we can all identify with. You don't have to be the king of the greatest empire the world has ever seen to have a problem with pride. The problem for Nebuchadnezzar is that he gave himself credit for things that only God could have done. God sends a message to the king, but he's unable to receive that message until he has learned the lesson the hard way. I can definitely identify with that because we tend to learn from our mistakes rather than from the lessons that are taught to us. So the sermon in the sentence is this. God is supremely in control and his divine will shall come to pass no matter the pride or the stubbornness of man. Alright, so let's go ahead and read this passage. It is a little bit lengthy. There are some repetitive parts to it uh, because the dream is kind of recounted two different times. But there are some really unique features about this. Um, first of all, this chapter seems to be completely composed by Nebuchadnezzar himself. Um, it tells us from start to finish uh, that it is going to be the story of the greatness of God and the humility of man. And so as we get into this, it is different. And so listen to it as if it is different. Um, one thing other that I'll point out before I read is that with the Assyrian and the Babylonian kings, they did leave uh, memoirs or journals uh, recording their great deeds and all of these things. But it was almost always presented as the greatness of the king. But in this particular example, Nebuchadnezzar displays his foolishness in an uh, open and humble way. And it is very different from almost anything we see in Scripture and certainly anything that we see uh, in historical writings by a king. So here we go. Nebuchadnezzar chapter 4. I mean... Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all people, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, 
peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs! How mighty his wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in. And I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, who was named Belshazzar, Belshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom the spirits of the holy gods, uh, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the vision of my dreams that I saw and their interpretation. The vision of my head as I lay in my bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. And the birds of the heavens lived in its branches. And all flesh was fed from it. I saw in visions of my head as I lay in bed. And behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stumps, or leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. 
Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven, and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. And let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as I was, and as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may, perhaps, be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among the men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom 
endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are righteous, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Okay. So let's get into this. Uh, just a little bit of background first. Daniel doesn't give us a date uh, for when this actually happens, but uh, he does mention some things that are clues. One, all the building projects of the king are completed, and there's peace in the empire. These things didn't happen until toward the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Also, there are some historians that wrote in the uh, 3rd and 2nd century BC that indicated Nebuchadnezzar had some strange illness toward the end of his life, which would coincide with, with this, because what else would you call <clears throat> living in the, in, in, the, in the field and eating grass? Um, so it's likely... Uh, that this would have happened sometime toward the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Obviously, we've got to allow for the dream a year. Um, and in the seven times or seven time periods, this is seven years. And so we have to allow for that and at least another year for him to be restored and to be um, reestablished. So uh, 571 is, is probably when this would have happened maybe in the 34th year of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, meaning Daniel would have been somewhere around 50 years old when this occurred. So this would have happened some 30 years after the events surrounding the fiery furnace. Just for context, um, because it seems like from one chapter to the next, Nebuchadnezzar is praising the Lord, and now he's praising himself. Well, it would have been 30 years, and in that time, probably Nebuchadnezzar would have not forgotten the events of the fiery furnace, but maybe the power of that moment would have faded in his mind. Um, but as he begins this statement, he says that he wants to declare the works and, and, and the mighty deeds of the Lord in his own life. And so those would have certainly included um, the, the dream that Daniel interpreted. Uh, they would have included um, the story of the fiery furnace, and, and then they would have included this, this event here, the second dream of Nebuchadnezzar, where he is, um, he is transformed essentially into a, a beast of the field. So Nebuchadnezzar starts this with praise. And his intended audience is everyone. Um, Nebuchadnezzar didn't actually rule the entire world at this time, as he might would indicate. Um, but Assyrian and, and Babylonian monarchs typically assumed that their audience was everybody. Everybody that matters is going to be listening to this anyway. Um, his stated goal is to make known the mighty works of God and to tell of his superiority over all mankind. This is remarkably high praise coming from a pagan monarch that could just as easily have considered himself a god. 
Um, the most powerful point in these early verses is how drastically the king changes after his encounter with the Lord. So just remember as we read verse 1, 2, and 3 that, that it is after all the events. So he, this is kind of like a bookend praise, so to speak. He praises at the beginning, then tells the story that led to the praise, and then gives a praise at the end. So verse 1, 2, and 3 are written from the perspective of the king after his seven years as a beast. Um, and so he is giving praise to the Lord, and, and, and it is amazing how drastically he, he changes from how he was as a king walking on the roof of his palace surveying his kingdom. What we have to recognize is that with Nebuchadnezzar, he had incredible pride. Um, he had a great and terrible fall from grace at the command of the Lord. And after a season of discipline, he learned humility. We would do well to learn the lesson given to Nebuchadnezzar by his example rather than repeating it ourselves. So let's get into the dream and its interpretation. The king begins his testimony by describing his situation before his dream. Uh, he was content, he was pop prosperous, he was living life and enjoying it. Um, this would have, again, been after many wars. This would have been after many building projects. And the king had probably decided it was time for him to slow down a little bit, to rest a little bit more, to enjoy things. And that's when he receives this dream. And the dream troubles him. In fact, it terrifies him. And I wouldn't be surprised if the king didn't understand at least a good bit of the interpretation himself. But he calls on his diviners and he calls on his uh, astrologers and Chaldeans to give the interpretation of the dream. Once again, I believe that these individuals would have understood at least that the king was the tree. And if you understand the king is the tree, then you understand what it means to chop it down and to lop off its limbs, to scatter its fruit. You understand what this means. And um, so they do not give an interpretation. And so Daniel is called in. Daniel would not have been forgotten by any means, but maybe he wasn't brought in first because the king hoped to get a interpretation from one of his followers or one of his servants that believed more like him. You can note, even in the way that, that Nebuchadnezzar describes Daniel, it says that he has the spirit of the holy gods. He doesn't necessarily believe that Daniel gets all of his understanding just from the one true God. So he eventually does call in Daniel. Uh, and, and Daniel, uh, when he is told this dream, the, the tree and its extent, obviously that's, that's Nebuchadnezzar and the fact that all people of the earth, at least from their perspective, uh, is, is touched and, and, and is helped and is strengthened by him in some way. Um, and you have to remember that God is talking to Nebuchadnezzar in this dream. So he's speaking the way that Nebuchadnezzar would speak. Daniel mentions that there are oppressed people, and Daniel mentions that there are, there are sins in, in Nebuchadnezzar's life. But God presents this dream in such a way that the tree is all good, that it gives shade, that it gives food, that it gives a home. Um, 
but the reality is probably quite different. And so Nebuchadnezzar is, is receiving some of this message because it fits with his own image of his mind. And God starts with Nebuchadnezzar where he is and moves him to where he needs to go. So Daniel understands this dream and he is um, alarmed and he is dismayed because what he sees, he thinks, is going to be bad. Now, people ask, is Daniel concerned for himself or is he truly concerned for the king at this point? Here is something that, that I can say for sure. Given the prayer life of Daniel and given the example that we have already seen of his life, he is a man that would have prayed for Nebuchadnezzar every day of his life. From the moment of captivity all the way to the day that he was called before the king to interpret this very dream. He would have been praying for Nebuchadnezzar. It is much easier for us to love someone when we pray for them. Nebuchadnezzar was not particularly righteous. He wasn't holy. Daniel would not have agreed with everything that Nebuchadnezzar said or did. But I believe that Daniel truly loved Nebuchadnezzar because he had prayed for him. Before, before a holy God, he had kept Nebuchadnezzar before God in his own prayers on a daily basis. And because of that, I believe that Daniel truly was dismayed. He was concerned for the king and he was alarmed. And he said, may this be for your enemies, not for you. May this interpretation not be for you. But Nebuchadnezzar assures Daniel that, that he, needs, he needs to hear this interpretation. So he tries to put him at ease concerning the interpretation of the dream and um, tells Daniel that he wishes to know this interpretation. Um, so Daniel begins to give the interpretation, and really it is pretty simple. The king had expanded his empire um, to the distant parts of the earth. Um, many, many people on the earth had been affected by the efforts of the king. Now, the voice, the voice says, come, come down and chop this tree down. Nebuchadnezzar himself would not be slain, but his authority his influence over all the world would be taken away. So it's important for us to recognize this dream was not about the fall of Babylon. That comes later. Um, and it wasn't about the death of Babylon. That will, or the death of Nebuchadnezzar. That will also come later. This is about a, a living humbling of the man. So he is to lose his sanity and to live like a beast uh, it, it, it continues to say for seven time periods or seven times. Um, it is very likely that this is actually seven years. Now, it is important to note that the stump is left. It's bound, but it's left. This indicates that there is the possibility that the tree might grow back. Um, so then, in a sense of urgency and boldness, Daniel actually counsels Nebuchadnezzar to, to repent of his sins, um, to, to break away from sins by doing what is righteous, um, to cleanse his life by caring for and loving the oppressed. You know, and as Nebuchadnezzar tells this part of the story, I can't help but imagine him actually shedding a tear, wishing maybe he had listened to Daniel at this moment. Um, but he's standing at a turning point 
in his life. Listen to Daniel, make a change, and maybe this doesn't happen. Or go about his way as he does and experience this great humiliation at the end of a glorious uh, reign. It makes us ask the question, what, what might the turning point in our life be? Where is that choice that we're going to have to make? Are we currently receiving counsel about something? Have we been warned? Have we been challenged to change our course, to maybe add more righteousness into our lives? Is there something that we can do differently? We must always choose humility over pride. That is the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar teaches us. And so, as it goes, starting in verse 28, it tells us uh, that Nebuchadnezzar was, again, marveling over his kingdom, walking on the roof of his palace, and he was giving himself credit for everything. The buildings, the kingdom, everything. It was the work of his hands. And it was at that moment, while he was still speaking, that a voice came from heaven. And I believe that at the moment that he heard that heavenly voice say, O King Nebuchadnezzar, I think he knew. I think he knew that the dream was coming true, that everything that Daniel had said is coming to pass. Maybe in that year, he had lived a little bit more quietly, a little bit more humbly for a little while, but he just couldn't maintain it. He could not maintain his humility. And so the voice comes. It says that he is going to live as a beast. And sure enough, he does. He loses his mind, lives like a beast for seven years. There is a physical transformation. He grows longer hair, more coarse hair probably, uh, stronger claws. He eats grass. He goes certifiably insane. That's, that's what happens. But at the end of the seven years, it says that he looks up and he recognizes that only God is truly sovereign and that his kingdom is above all the kingdoms of mankind. Not only is he the ruler of all kings, but he's also the kingmaker. There is no one in authority that has not been placed there by God, and anyone in authority can be removed in an instant. With one decree from the Lord, Nebuchadnezzar had gone from being the most glorious king in the realms of men to crawling around on all fours and eating grass like a beast. When the king finally recognizes this, he praises the Lord. He gives glory to God. You know, he, di he didn't stop and say, why me? Why did I have to go through this? He didn't complain to the Lord for this harsh treatment, but he recognizes that God is in control. He recognizes the greatness of God, the futility of the plans of man, the sovereignty of God over the affairs of man, and the relentless nature of his will. All of these are part of his statement and part of his praise. And you would be hard-pressed to find a better description of the nature of God in any of the theologians that have ever tried to write about the subject. After these events, Nebuchadnezzar was restored to the throne of Babylon, and he prospered even more. 
his advisors and his nobles came looking for him and placed him back on the throne. But the king had finally learned humility, and he had finally let go of his stubborn pride. He learned to trust in the Lord, even if he did not understand the Lord, because he knew that God was a just God. It's interesting that he says that anyone, anyone who walks in pride is able to be humbled by the Lord. Why do you think God did this? Why did God humble this man, Nebuchadnezzar? Well, when we look at Nebuchadnezzar through the lens of history, he truly was a great king. He had a great empire, and he was ruling in a way a little bit different than mankind had ruled before. He was almost modern in some of his approaches, but God humbled him, and he humbled him for the purpose of showing the world that there is no man above God. Now let's wrap this up. In the list of seven deadly sins, pride may not seem like the deadliest, but it truly can be. If we're going to avoid the kind of pride that led Nebuchadnezzar down this strange road, there's going to be some things that we have to do. First, we have to give thanks for everything. Remembering that God is the one giving us the good gifts, thanking Him and showing our gratitude to Him at all times is going to be crucial for the way that we live. The next thing is that we have to remember that God's plans will always overrule ours. It's nearly impossible for a human to live without some kind of plan or desire or ambition but we as Christians have to place God's will above our own. We have to be ready to do that if we're going to live humbly. And finally, we must remember that when we trusted Jesus as our Savior, we gave our lives to Him. That's the whole point of the gospel, is that Jesus gave His life for us, and now we give our life to Him in return for eternal life. So He gives us uh, his life through his sacrifice so that we might be saved. And then we give over control of our life so that he lives his life. The life that he gave away, he now lives out through us. It is Christ living in us. That is a way to be humble, is to remember that it is not us. It is him. This is the key to salvation and it's the key to a humble life. Remember that it is God who is in control, not us. It's so easy for us to think that we can prepare for the worst. So easy for us to think that we can fix problems that we might face. It's so easy for us to think that with our skills and with our, our strength and talent that we can do something. But we can do nothing outside the power of God. We must remember to live humble lives, constantly submitting to the Lord so that we don't go through an ordeal like Nebuchadnezzar did. Learn from his lesson rather than having to learn from our own mistakes. Thank you for listening to this, and I pray that it's been an encouragement to you, and I hope that we will be together again in person very soon. But until then, know that it is God who is in control of all things. Whatever happens, happens because it's part of his plan even if we don't understand it, 
even if we question it, it's his world. He is in control.